After Joseph was betrayed so terribly by his brothers and, and sold as a slave, we actually have this story about Judah and Tamar inserted here uh, in the middle of it. We're told this story about Judah's ungodly behavior in his own family. In that story, in chapter 38, we're, we're shown the way that he acted so dishonorably toward his daughter-in-law. We're, we're shown his sexual promiscuity and his hypocrisy. But, but finally, we're also shown his repentance. And what God is teaching us throughout these, these passages, the story of Joseph and, and also his brother Judah, is that despite all of this disobedience and deception, the Lord was working out his plan to bring salvation to the world through his son Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the king from the line of Judah. The Lord was there working in Judah's family to maintain this line of royal promise, all the while bringing the world closer to the arrival of the son of David, the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, the one who would redeem us from all of our sins. Despite so much sin and so many missteps, the Lord was with Judah's family to work out his plan. And now our attention is turned once again toward Joseph. And what's the first thing that we're told? This terrible thing has happened to Joseph. He was sold by his brothers, and now he's a slave in Egypt. But guess what? The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord had been busy over there with Judah's family, watching over Judah's family, ensuring that his promises would endure. And Joseph is over here, enslaved, forced into servitude, but the Lord is with him too. This is how this story of Joseph in Potiphar's house, this is how this story begins and it ends. And that's the whole point of what we're hearing from the Word of God this morning. Whatever happens in between for Joseph, one thing is clear, the Lord is with him. The Lord blesses him. We're told this you know, no less than five times immediately in the opening verses of this passage. Verse 2, we read there, so there's a recap. This is what happened to Joseph. He was sold uh, to someone named Potiphar. And now verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. Twice in verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Verse 5, from the time that Potiphar made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, one more time, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had. And then finally, at the end of this roller coaster of Chapter 39, verses 20 and 21, while Joseph is in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Why? Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made him succeed, or made it succeed. So yes, this... 
This passage is part of the, the larger narrative that we refer to as the Joseph story. Such an amazing story. Everything that, that happened to him, his, his ups and downs, such a riveting tale full of these twists and turns. It's an emotional story as you work your way through. And, and when he meets his brothers, it's, it's so hard not to be overcome with emotions and, and, and not just weep with Joseph and be moved to tears. But it's not ultimately a story about Joseph. This passage is not a story about Joseph's integrity, Joseph's patience, Joseph's endurance. That's not the main part of the story. The point of the story is the presence of God. When we hear this word of God, he is teaching us to see him, to recognize him. We can see his loving and powerful and wise character in all of this, and we're comforted and assured that just as the Lord is with Joseph, he is also with us. That's what we have to learn here. This is the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples and also to us before he bodily left this world and ascended into heaven. He said, and certainly I am with you to the very end of the age. That wasn't just for Jesus' disciples, that's for us. And that promise and that comfort remains with us today. The Lord is with his people always. There's not one second where that is not true. Joseph's rise and fall in Potiphar's house is used as an example for us this morning to assure us of the truth of this. How utterly ruined Joseph's life would have looked. Let's let that stew just for a second. Joseph's life was ruined, wasn't it? And I know that there are a lot of hard things present here in the life of this congregation. Many, or at least some of you, have lives that, that feel as ruined as Joseph's in some way. Let's be comforted this morning through this story, not this story of Joseph, but the story of God, the story of the enduring presence and comfort of God. Yes, Joseph's life was ruined. Joseph had been this favored son in his father's house. Remember the, you know, the spoiled brat with the Lamborghini? That was Joseph. He was almost murdered by his own brothers, but instead he's sold, he's on his way to be a slave, and, and, and in, as he's making his way there, taken in chains to Egypt, he has no idea you know, what kind of master he's going to have to serve. For all Joseph knows, he's going to be beaten, whipped, spit on, starved maybe, every day of his life from now on until the end of his miserable life. But the Lord was with him. We know that. We're told that in this passage. And Joseph begins to see that 
and be assured of that. In verses 2 through 6 of our passage, we see that despite everything that has happened, Joseph's life begins to take a really wonderful turn. God makes him successful. God blesses everything that he puts his hand to. What a relief for Joseph, right? To experience God's blessing with everything he does. Yes, he's a slave. Yes, he belongs to someone else. He doesn't get to dictate his own life. But he's been given a life of peace and prosperity even in those circumstances. His master is pleased with him. His, the, the face of his master is shining upon him. He finds himself in charge of, of the entire household. And it's so clear, it's so clear to everyone around Joseph that the Lord is with him. God not only blesses him, but in verse 5 we see that the Lord even blesses the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. This whole Egyptian household experiences the favor of God because of Joseph. And that's a really important thing to note here. This is a ripple. Some of, these are the first ripples of God's promise to Abraham. He said to Abraham, in your seed, in your descendants, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And we see the, the great final outworking of that promise that's through Jesus Christ the blessing of God would overflow into the whole world, bringing the peace of God to people from every nation, from every people and, and, and tribe and language. Joseph is a tiny little picture of that here. Joseph is a little blurry picture of the greatness of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's a little taste of how God blesses others through his anointed people. All through the Joseph story, we have all of these little hints that Joseph is meant to be seen as a type of Christ. Joseph is a blessing to this Egyptian family. Everything is blessed with prosperity. So even though he's a slave, Joseph has been given a good life. But it doesn't stay that way, of course. Suddenly there's trouble, and it's, and it's big trouble. It was looking so good, but suddenly our story takes a turn. Verses 6 and 7, Potiphar's wife is also very impressed with Joseph. Everything he does is blessed. That's impressive, but he's also well-built, He's handsome. She wants to go to bed with him. She demands it from him. Now, how might something like this typically go? How would this go for other slaves? You know, this obviously isn't the first time in the history of slavery that a mistress of the house decided to sleep with the handsome help. How would a slave respond to something like that. Well, you know, if you do it, if you sleep with the mistress of the house, then things are probably going to be pretty well with you. You'll receive probably quite a bit of special treatment, gifts, advancement. You'll have the favor of the mistress of the house, your master's wife. You can't refuse this. This is an order. 
Your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to your master, and so you better do as you're told. And this is pretty common in slave culture. There are many ancient accounts of wealthy women paying a lot of money to sleep with gladiators, and of course gladiators are some of the most physically impressive and sexually desirable slaves that there are. Sexual promiscuity was a very common thing for anyone who was in that life of servitude. Practically speaking, there's no reason to refuse this. It could actually be to Joseph's advantage to just listen to her and go along with it. Verse 8, but he refused. He refused. He's trying to convince her to drop it, to stop coming to him with this, and Joseph gives three reasons for refusing her. Number one, he has his master's confidence. He says there, he has put everything of his in my hand. There's nothing that he doesn't trust me with. I cannot betray his trust, and I won't, I won't betray him. Number two, you are his wife. He has given me everything. My master has not withheld anything from me. Basically, everything that belongs to my master, I can sort of consider it to be mine. That's how generous my master has been to me, but he has withheld one thing from me, and that's you. You are his wife. I cannot take you now. Number three, most importantly, God. This would be a great sin against God himself, and I will not do it. Day after day, she bothers him for it. Maybe he'll finally crack. Joseph has to go way out of his way to avoid harassment. In verse 10, he refuses to even be near her because of this. And how is his integrity, his godliness repaid? Well, we have that account in verses eight, eight, uh, 11 through 18. She's so angry with him that she falsely accuses him of trying to rape her. she's got him by his clothes trying to drag him to bed with her and he slips out of his clothing and, and she keeps it with him she calls the servants together makes false witnesses out of them she keeps his robe with her until Potiphar comes back home she shows it to him as proof, and of course we see the, the irony of this as well. This is the second time that Joseph's clothing is being used against him as evidence of a lie. First with the beautiful robe that his, parent, or that his brothers soaked in blood, and, and now this. So what's going to happen to Joseph? What would we expect to happen to Joseph? It's actually somewhat surprising that Joseph isn't hauled out immediately and put to death. If a slave violates a free woman, well then this is what would immediately happen. And we can't be 100% sure about this, but it's easy to imagine that Potiphar actually suspects the truth. He's not a stupid man. He might have seen the way that his wife looks at Joseph and this might not even be the first time that she tried to fool around with a slave. And Potiphar knows Joseph's character. 
He knows his godliness, his integrity, the way that he carries himself and conducts himself with honor. And maybe at the same time, he's not willing to publicly humiliate his wife by calling her a liar. So he's in this position. He doesn't execute Joseph, which would be the normal thing to do, but he puts him in prison. We're told that his anger is kindled when she tells him this story, but why? Is it because he's forced to do this to Joseph and mistreat him? His action toward Joseph seems a bit like a compromise. And again, here we see whispers of the humility of Jesus Christ here, completely innocent. In Jesus' case, Pilate, the one who, who sat as judge over him, he wasn't as gentle as Potiphar, even though he knew that Jesus was innocent. Pontius Pilate was willing to let this innocent man be executed. And like Joseph, Jesus was humble and silent, and he let this happen to him. He, he accepted what was apportioned to him in the will of God. When we think about this, our, our stomach you know, turns when we imagine what this must have been like for Joseph. Hauled away, thrown into prison while innocent. How can this be happening to him again? And yet this is almost nothing. This is almost nothing compared to what Jesus was willing to undergo. We are sinners and we deserve punishment. We deserve the wrath of God. We know that. We deserve the wages of sin. We deserve death. Not only physical death and, and, and illness and sickness and affliction as a consequence, but we deserve spiritual death. We deserve an eternity of the weight of the wrath of God against our sin. We deserve hell. But Jesus, innocent Jesus with integrity and goodness and that, that is infinitely more pure than even Joseph's was, he was willing to endure all of that for us. He was sentenced to death for us. He was forsaken by God so that we wouldn't have to be. There are psalms where David cries out looking for God, but he says that God is not there. God was nowhere to be found. Now we know that God is there. God will never abandon a child that he loves. God will never forsake anyone who belongs to him. God will never forsake you. Jesus Christ is the only one whom God loved and whom he also forsook. Now to anyone who was observing Joseph's conditions, it might have looked like Joseph was forgotten by God. Like God was not there to protect Joseph from these lies and, and this imprisonment, this wrongful imprisonment that was put upon Joseph. His life is ruined again. Betrayed by his brothers, he has a few years where things look good, but then it all comes crashing down again. Innocent, but in prison with no hope of release. Where's God? Where is God? What is he doing? 
But we're told again, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He blessed everything that he did. And just like Potiphar, the, the, the warden was pleased with Joseph. He favored him, put him in charge of, of everything. The warden paid no attention to anything that was under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And that's how this part of the story ends. Joseph is rising again. And this is a remarkable turn of events once again for him. What a story. What a story this is. But the bigger story is still in view. God is still steering all of these things for something wonderful. God is doing amazing things in his plan for his people and for the world. And he's using the life of the one he loves He's driving his plan of salvation for his people so that Jesus Christ would come for us. So that after Jesus completes his task on earth and is about to take his seat as king of the earth at the right hand of God with all authority in heaven and on earth, he can assure us, I am with you always. I am with you always. I will never be apart from you. Our gracious God displays here how he remains close to his loved ones here in this passage. And because of all that we've seen from God, from then until now, we can have an even stronger and more guaranteed assurance that God is with us. Your life is certainly going to take twists and turns. And sometimes it might not feel like God is there. You might feel completely imprisoned, stuck by some hardship in life. Something that is, humanly speaking, insurmountable. Something that has absolutely no end in sight. Like this is going to be your lot for the rest of your life. Some illness. You know, maybe a car accident that results in paralysis. A brokenness in your family. So many of us struggle with, with deep, deep depression, sadness. And when that cloud is weighing down, you can't see God in it. You, can't, you, don't, you don't have a sense of his favor, his presence. Where is he? Why? Why is God letting this hardship come into my life and, and weigh down my heart like this? Take refuge in God knowing, knowing for sure that God is with you. How precious you are to God. Bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. If God was willing to forsake his son whom he loved for you, it gives you a sense of how valuable you are to him, how precious you are to him, how much he must love you. You'll have moments where, where you rise and seasons where 
You're plunging into what feels like complete ruin, and somehow, through all of it, you must be able to say, but the Lord is with me. And know that all of this is heading somehow to the glory that is being prepared for you. The glory that makes all of this, whatever it is, make beautiful sense. Because someday it will. The glory that makes it possible for you to give thanks, even, for the hardship that God had prepared for you. Your life is hard. It is full of pain, full of sadness and worry and discouragement. But the Lord is with you. Amen.